Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this third episode of the Demetria Obalor Show. And I've got some great topics teed up for you. So we're gonna kick things off with sports. You know how we do. All right, let's get to it. So next month, NBA basketball's back. And with it come new stricter rules when it comes to resting star players, including fines ranging from $100,000 to over a million dollars and counting. Now, the NBA is defining star players as a player who's been an all-star or all-NBA player in the past three seasons. Now, I love this. Some guy on Reddit, he was pondering whether he should vote rival team's worst players onto the all-star team. Oh, so wicked. So they'll be forced to play in the regular seasons. That's so messed up. But under the new rules, for example, Clay Thompson wouldn't be considered a star player, but Draymond would. And because under these new rules, teams can't rest more than one star player for the same game, Coach Kerr could rest Clay and Steph Curry, but not Curry and Draymond or Curry and Wiggins at the same time. Any star player being rested must be at the arena and visible to fans, and every star player will be required to play during nationally televised and in-season tournament games. You can't shut down a player long-term either, so no more out for 10 games with obscure knee soreness. That can be open to investigation. Resting on back-to-backs gets tricky. You gotta be league approved. If you're 35 years old on opening night, or if you have 34,000 regular season minutes, or 1,000 season minutes, or 1,000 regular season and playoff games combined, then you get some wiggle room, and you can be approved for designated back-to-back allowances. Of course, you'll remember that players must appear in at least 65 games and be on the floor for at least 20 minutes to even be eligible for regular season awards, honors, including MVP. All this is happening to get more player participation in the 82-game regular season because star players playing makes for better TV, happier fans, more of the bottom line. But What about players' health and their longevity? What about the athlete? Does this solve for load management? Critics of load management bring up the golden age of basketball and say that things were tougher then. Some people say it's less physical, but more skilled now. And wherever you stand on that whirlwind debate, I'm just over here like, do we really need 82 games though? I mean, like, why are there 82 games anyway? I had to look it up. And I like how this ESPN article from 2011 puts it. Nobody can really tell you. Yeah, that's what the article said. Uh, Not the NBA scheduler, those who work in the NBA offices, nor historians of the games. So I had to turn to my alma mater for answers. After all, the inventor of basketball is James Naismith, the man who founded the University of Kansas basketball program, Rock Chalk. Fun fact, I was an RA at Naismith Hall Dormitory. Shout out KU. But seriously, no answers there either. Golden State coach Steve Kerr is all for knocking 10 games off the calendar. I mean, he says, it's proven that if guys are banged up, back-to-backs, players are much more likely to get injured and miss more games. LeBron James, Dirk Nowitzki have both floated the idea in the past, but that would mean less NBA revenue, and that's where that road ends. For some reason, though, I really feel that fewer games would add more fuel to the old school versus new school basketball fans. I can hear it now. Yeah, the league is just not as tough as it used to be. Guys are only playing 70-something games now. Back then, we played almost 100. We had the bad boys. Jordan was getting kicked and choked. The real talk, Michael Jordan's my goat. (laughs) 
But with basketball, something to consider because 82 games is brutal for sure. And the game is played differently. And those are things that we all need to take into consideration. And yeah, the fans matter for sure. I mean, I can't even imagine going to a game and not seeing my star player on the court. I mean, it would definitely make me feel better if he was on the bench, but if he was just at home and I'm like, why am I here? Where's Steph Curry? I mean, that sucks, but you have to understand the humanity of it all. He's an athlete. He's been in this for a long time body needs rest and and that's real too so we do have to find that perfect balance and i don't think that we found it quite yet also with sports i'm excited for the crossover fight of the century wait that was Mayweather versus McGregor, right? Any real fight fan who knows something about boxing should have already known what the outcome of that was gonna be. But we have a new crossover battle on the horizon and it's going down next month when heavyweight champion Tyson Fury touches gloves with former UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou. This will be Francis's professional boxing debut and it's so insane considering he's going up against the best heavyweight in the world. But Francis started his fight career training in boxing and he packs a hell of a punch. Actually, the most powerful punch ever recorded on a power cube, which is a device designed to measure the power of impact. Francis had striking power of 129,161 units. Eddie Hall, 2017 strongest man in the world, tried it, peaked at 113,999 units, but what does that really mean when we haven't seen the likes of the bronze bomber Deontay Wilder or the undefeated champ Tyson Fury on a power cube? Let's just be real. But we know that Francis has power, and so he's got a puncher's chance, right? Even Roy Jones Jr. is excited for it, saying if Ngannou hits you, it could be fatal. And that his coaches Mike Tyson and Dewey Cooper are going to put him in a position to land that one shot he needs because with boxing, let's be honest, it only takes one. And honestly, that's Francis's best bet. He's got to get in and light him up. Otherwise, he could get picked apart. Going the distance is not where Francis wants to go with Tyson Fury. Two rounds, get it done if you can. Does Terrence Crawford think Francis stands a chance? I mean, he gave a one-word brutal answer to the contest. Zero. And the odds don't favor Francis. But for him, either outcome is a win-win. Lose and still get the biggest fight payday of your life. Win and, man... That's what dreams are made of. I will definitely be tuning in. Okay, let's expound on tech a little bit because I've been getting the weirdest emails. Well, I always get a ton of weird emails, but this time it was about a company wanting to make an AI version of me. Ooh, a virtual clone that could interact with my social media audience as another form of monetization. Now let's be clear, I am not a clone. And I wouldn't agree to create a virtual clone of myself, but I am not a clone is really like the new version of I'm not a cop. Say the words. I'm not a cop. <laughs> That's like from The Departed. We're all going to be walking around talking to people like, well, you know what? I want to hear from you. What? You want me to say it? Yeah. I'm not a cop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did I take a mafia deep dive? Maybe so. But now that that's out of the way, we've heard of the use of AI when it comes to actors and their likeness. Actors are worried that with this kind of tech, real actors won't even be needed anymore. They also want protections created for how it's used, how it's monetized. It's one of the reasons that the Actors Guild SAG-AFTRA is on strike now, and I don't blame them. Watch the first episode of the new season of Black Mirror. That's it right there. But the clones that AI companies like Forever Voices are creating are essentially virtual companions. They're crafted with the latest technology and formed by analyzing over 2,000 hours of YouTube content, analyzing facial expressions, voice movement, etc. 
Forever Voices has created an AI for a 23-year-old influencer this way. And the tagline for the story on Fortune Magazine's website was that she has 1.8 million followers on Snapchat and she also has more than 1,000 boyfriends. Can you imagine? The article continues on saying that the AI spends anywhere from 10 minutes to several hours every day engaging in individual conversations, sharing intimate feelings, and engaging in sexually charged chat. Costs a dollar a minute, and she's already made over $71,000, and it's only in beta testing. The influencer says she hopes to help cure loneliness, and I'm going to touch on that more in a sec, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see this kind of tech everywhere, and it'll be extremely lucrative for influencers and companies alike, but that's not why I'm bringing this up. I'm concerned for so many reasons, and I don't think this is going to play out how it did in the movie Her that stars Joaquin Phoenix, where he falls in love with an AI voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Uh, yeah, no, loneliness is real, and it's on the rise. According to a 2020 Cigna study of 10,000 adults, nearly half of Americans report feeling alone sometimes or always. Gen Z and millennials are being called the loneliest generations ever, with almost 80% of Gen Zers feeling lonely, 71% of millennials. Studies like this one, published in the Journal of Social and Clinical Sociology, looked at 143 college students and found that limiting social media actually resulted in significant reductions in feelings of loneliness. Putting down the phone decreased that anxiety. Psychology Today lists overstimulation as a factor contributing to Gen Z's loneliness, but nobody's putting that phone down. Considering how lonely people are, though, it should come as no surprise that not having sex is on the rise, hitting a 30-year low across the genders. And there are lots of factors influencing that. I mean, gender scripts, for example, have changed. You've got the pandemic. And some psychologists point to young men and the consumption of pornography and how their needs are being met without ever having to leave the house. And I know that all of these social media comments where men and women are brawling over who should pay for dinner and how buying a woman a handbag makes you a stand. And if he can't buy you a Birkin, sis, he's a scrub. We're seeing this constantly, every day on social media. And it's not helping but instead reinforcing this chasm that's erupted between modern day men and women. A psychology professor from NYU, Niobe Way, called the state we're in a crisis of connection. And the solution is more fake interaction? I've been lonely. I've often been lonely throughout my adult romantic life. I'll be the first to admit, but I can't imagine that fostering an artificial relationship would be fulfilling. At best, a Band-Aid, at worst, a delusion that will solidify social ineptitude and further cement loneliness. And let's be real, a lot of people are going to be using these influencer bots for sexual purposes. Do you know how many DMs I get about how I need to be doing OnlyFans? Or how many unsolicited images and videos of private parts I've received over the years? Or how many sexually explicit scenarios people have took time out of their day to text me? The filth. I can only imagine what a Demetria AI would be dealing with on the daily and what would happen when the bot simply wasn't enough anymore. I've had people I've never met, never spoken to begin stalking me, sending me dozens of thousands of messages because they created a fantasy relationship in their head. 
The last thing I need is some AI whose company I sold all my rights to egging on the sexual fantasies of sex-deprived people for a dollar a minute. Let me slow down. Just listen up. Dating sucks. Some people suck. But it's all a part of life, albeit a different life than our parents are used to. But if we start turning to AI to fix our personal lives, then we'll really be living in the matrix. Red or blue pill? I told you guys we're going to be doing a lot of tech, so I hope you get used to it. I am a big techie, and tech is taking over the world. Yeah, you guys thought trickle-down economics was going to save us all. Yeah, no, 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 no. The rich stay rich, and the poor people get replaced by robots. But anywho, um, you guys know that for the past several years, I've worked across the country as a news and traffic anchor, and with that job... I witnessed some of the most horrible traffic crashes. I covered absolute tragedies. And so I have the utmost respect for our first responders. One of my friends who's a firefighter, I love him. He put it to me like this. He says, as a first responder, you're with people on the worst days of their lives. And so he has a lot of empathy on the job. And I love that because his empathy really echoes my personal experience in working with first responders. But a lot of people haven't been as fortunate, including the family of John V. Kandula, the 23-year-old college student who was hit and killed when Seattle police officer Kevin Dave hit her with his Ford SUV police vehicle. She was in a crosswalk. The speed limit was 25 miles an hour. Officer Dave was traveling at 74 miles per hour just before the collision, according to a Seattle Police Department investigation. The investigation showed that the cause of the collision was the rate of speed the officer was traveling. Now, Officer Dave was responding to a 911 call. Someone was overdosing on cocaine, reportedly. And Washington law says first responders can exceed speed limits when using audible signals. It's the same pretty much everywhere as long as they don't endanger life or property. According to the Seattle Times, the officer had his emergency lights on. He chirped his siren at intersections and chirped right before the deadly collision with John V, but he didn't have the siren activated continuously. Officer Dave administered CPR, but John V succumbed to her injuries at the hospital. So far, no reports of any criminal charges that have been filed against Officer Dave. And this investigation is ongoing, and I can't even imagine how gut-wrenching it is for John V's family. And to make things exceedingly worse, you bring this guy Daniel Otterer into the mix. Daniel Otterer is the vice president of the Seattle Police Officers Guild. He's a police officer and trained as a drug recognition expert, according to CNN. He investigated the fatal crash to see if Officer Dave, the officer who killed John V, was impaired. These are his words that were released to the public last week that have gone globally viral in the worst way imaginable. She is dead. $11,000. She was 26 anyway. She had limited value. Once again, this is police body cam footage that was released. You hear Otterer making those statements during his investigation of the fatal collision where Jean V lost her life. Otterer defends his comments by saying he was imitating what a lawyer tasked with negotiating the case would be saying, and he was being sarcastic, that these lawyers shouldn't be coming up with all these crazy arguments to minimize the payment. That's how he presents what he was saying. Now, the Seattle Community Police Commission co-chairs responded to Otterer's explanation, saying that, no, it doesn't make it any better and calls his explanation a callous dismissiveness toward police accountability systems. As a journalist, 
I've seen reporters make jokes about victims before going on air to report about them. Disgusting. Thanks to body cam footage, we can hear the comments that first responders like Daniel Otterer can make. Whether they're satirical, a unique grieving process, or the only way you can make it through the day, I think we're all capable of dark humor. And I have no right to tell people what they say in the comfort of their homes. But saying something like that, when you're on the job tasked with preventing loss of life on the taxpayer's dime, as a police officer, if you can't even feign empathy while helping people on the worst day of their lives, maybe you shouldn't be one. All right, guys, that's all I got for this third episode. I really appreciate all of your feedback, your commentary. Really appreciate you guys subscribing. This podcast means so much to me, and I'm always interested in hearing your takes, your opinions. You can reach out to me on my website, demetriaobalor.com, on the contact page. And yes, there are full-length videos of this podcast available on my YouTube channel. So go there, the Demetria Obalor, you will see it. And all of those links are also on my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So check it out. I hope to see you guys here again next week. Until then, have an amazing rest of your day.